everybody. Welcome back to All The Things with Luke Tim. I am your host, Luke Tim. I know, I know, I know, I know. It has been way too long since I uh, posted one of these, but um, well, that's because it's been way too long since I recorded one of these, to be perfectly honest. And uh, yeah, just a lot of things going on, but I haven't given up on it. I'm not walking away from it. These are, these are fun for me to do. Um, kind of a hobby or whatever you want to call it, so... No, it's not going away. It just uh, took a little bit of a break there, an unplanned break. I was kind of all over the place, and uh, just a ton of stuff has been going on, all of it good in my world. So, yeah, there you go. What was I doing? I was in Kenya for a while in Marunga, uh, worked with a lot of people there, some exciting stuff happening there with um, uh, the Sister City program. We're kind of hoping to get that launched up so that our church here in Clive can be connected with them kind of a cool thing to do so um yeah sister city thing with the the city of clive and the city of morunga would be sweet uh i had a huge boundary waters trip that i went on with my son and we paddled for a hundred miles and went fishing did all kinds of cool things Uh, and then i have been at camp omega doing counselor stuff uh cool cool people up there working hard god bless you guys and uh man yeah it's crazy busy, but I think the, the coolest thing you've probably seen online is we have our coffee company up and going. Caris Coffee, that is X-A-R-I-S-X-O-F-F-E-E, and uh, you can check us out at CarisCoffee.com. We are officially selling coffee, so that has been a huge, huge endeavor. And I know you're listening to this, you're thinking, how do I buy this Caris Coffee where the proceeds go to this place in Kenya that helps these uh, kids? Well... Um, we're getting really close to online sales, but uh, if you want it before then, you got to be close enough to Des Moines that I can drive to you and give it to you. <laughs> That's just how it works, so uh, you good luck. Um, but hopefully here in the next week or two, we will be up and running online, and you can order it, and we will mail it to you. It is the best coffee you have ever had, and I'm not even joking about that. It's a small batch. It's all light roast, and it is whole bean at the moment, too, so if those are things that concern you. Whatever. But yeah, today on my podcast, we have Duncan is back. We chit-chat coffee for a little bit, so you'll hear that story. Um, You'll hear about us talking a little bit of politics and just the life and uh, the America stuff in general, whatever. Um, It's always good to hang out with Duncan. Great guy. So with that, without any further ado, give it up for Duncan and then... to go. Duncan! Remember how to do this, right? <laughs> Barely. It's been forevers. <clears throat> yeah, it kind of got away from me there for a little bit. Like, I had to do other stuff. Start a corporation out of yeah. the church. Jeez. That's going awesome, by the way. How's your XM business doing, right? <laughs> it's doing really well. We're, uh, we are selling coffee um, kind of like crazy, and it is freakishly good coffee, by the way. For anybody who doesn't know who's listening, Caris Coffee. Which is, uh, kari sounds like a foreign word. Like a Greek-ish word. Meaning? Grace. It is grace coffee. Not only great coffee, it is grace coffee. 
made by it migrant is workers. Migrant workers, actually, children. <laughs> so Doug Darnell was bringing it in, uh, and his his kid, and then his cousin were bringing it in, and uh, setting the bags down. And uh, Dan was in here. He goes, "Oh, child labor! Now it is a coffee company." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Um, yeah, so it is from Kenya, and uh, we import, bring it here, roast it in Des Moines. Uh, we have a good roaster who actually has some experience with Kenya coffee, and it is so good. It is absolutely phenomenal. If I wanted a bag. <clears throat> right now, you have to buy it from me or Doug or Sandy. And we in Des Moines area, we will literally drive it to your house and give it to you and take your money. Uh, hopefully, starting very soon, we will be able to, um, like, maybe by the end of the week, maybe maybe not until I get back from Kenya, um, you'll be able to go on the website, buy a bag, and it gets shipped to your house. So remind me, saying this on air, remind me to talk to you off air <laughs> about, I got some people at church that are interested. Nice. And, mm-hmm. in, in, yeah, in expanding. Nice. So, but not on the, you, you don't get to hear this. Sweet. This is secret. Bum, bum, but um, before I forget, remind yeah, me yeah. to not forget. Um, remind you to not forget. To so that's a good you. thing. And the proceeds go, some of it you get to pocket because. No, we're not pocketing. You're not pocketing it. So where does all the money go? I give you 10 bucks, you give me coffee and then and the money goes to the roaster and. Um, buying more coffee and then it goes to the Tumaini Empowerment Center. Um, go to our website. That would be kariscoffee.com and it is spelled. K-A. No. no. X-A-R-I-S. Because that's <laughs> That's how you spell. No. Look. I'm not. It's a K. It's a slanted K. You're, you're on crack. That's an X. It is, it is uh, X-A-R-I-S-X-O-F-F-E-E. See what we did there? Um, we made it so that That's it, cool. Like the coffee has also got the X on it. And the X and in the coffee aroma flavor is also steam. steamy yeah, up. Nice. And, yeah. And uh, even if you screwed that up and you did X-A-R-I-S. So down there it looks X-A. Yeah. So, yeah, you go to dakariscoffee.com and uh, you can read about the Tumaini Center. It's up there. Uh, what they do is they've got about 20. Their, their capacity uh, can go up to about 26 kids in this place called Marunga, Kenya, which is where some of our members from Living Faith are from originally. And they have started this um, – The it's not it's not really an orphanage because orphanages don't work in that culture. What it is um, – it's hard to explain, but if you read up on it, essentially what they do is the kids from the community can stay there, receive tutoring there, get food there. Um, they they pay for the – they all have to have uh, uniforms to go to school. Um, there's no free school pretty much in, in anywhere in, in Kenya. Um, there's reduced-priced schools. but they, So they pay for all that stuff, pay for books, and, and just do everything that is required. They de-louse kids. Uh, they pull chiggers out of kids. Um, get them medical attention, whatever they can do to get kids from truly abject poverty into a spot where they can get education and training and then get out of poverty. Um, Hand up kind of stuff. Yeah, and it's different from an orphanage because orphanages tend to say, okay, uh, you you can't care for this kid. We'll take this kid and we'll put this kid in our orphanage and this kid will be better. The reason those fail in Kenya is there's this uh, the whole concept of um, adopting your kids out or even in the community at all for for a kid to leave their home is is seen as a great, great shame. This is why most 
most mothers in Kenya, if they have uh, AIDS or, or something that is a terrible disease and, or just whatever it is, if they can't care for their children, they have to make a decision between um, you know, medicine for themselves or feeding their kids. They'll struggle with that decision over and above saying, I will send my kid to an orphanage because the shame is so great in that that they are giving their children away. It doesn't do happen. It. You don't do it. Yeah. Even, okay. even if it's like um, mom dies, now it becomes an aunt or a grandmother or somebody else They who, if they can't afford to take that child, they will still take that child. So that, that goes back pre-colonialization with the tribe, right? Mm-hmm. The tribal. And the orphanage is not the tribe. The, yeah. The adoption is not the tribe and, and these are our people. Yeah. So it's a – um, it's a tough spot to be a kid in in poverty, and the center does an awesome job of building the relationships in the community. The community sees it as their kid going off almost to like a boarding school, even though they don't do school. They they send the kids off to school. They make sure the kids can get to school. They drive the kids to school. So the the money goes for all of that for food, tuition, for uh, clothing. For there's there's kind of two full time caregivers that live there and, and watch over the kids. And, uh, yeah, we're not, that, that's, um, we haven't ruled out if, if this thing got so big that it needed a full-time employee, the hiring a full-time employee. And, and I think you could def, I mean, it wouldn't be me. I'm not going to quit my job. Um, I don't think it would be Doug. Like it, so at some point we may have overhead of a person to pay, but that would mean we're selling a pile of coffee. So. So I mean that would be good because I went to seminary. I can analyze your business for you <laughs> in five minutes. But 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 scale there'd be a benefit to scaling quickly. Oh well, there's there's benefits and um, challenges, but the the challenges are only challenges. They're not they're not real problems. I mean, like how do you you know if, if we're selling a thousand bags of coffee a month and we're sending them across the United States, like uh, how do you do that? I mean, I we've got some plans. But it's going to be – it's going to take up enough time that somebody's going to have to spend, you know, 20 hours a week labeling, dropping off, bulk, shipping things at post office or someplace and getting it shipped. Mm-hmm. I think that could happen. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, there's there's the benefits to, to scaling too is we can get the coffee at a lower price. Mm-hmm. And if we can – if we build enough revenue over time – it would be the next huge step would be to open a wet mill in Morunga where the farmers can then, um, what we would, we, what we would try and do is not have foreign ownership of it. That, that gets complicated and it ends up causing more problems than it, than it solves. But what you try and do is, is a, a micro loan for people in Morunga to be able to put, um, their own resources into it over time to have ownership of it. So these farmers are now co-op owning a wet mill. So right now, farmer comes to a wet mill and says, here are my, my coffee cherries for processing. And the wet mill can say, okay, we will give you 30 shillings per kilo. And the, the farmer says, they're worth more than that. And the guy says, okay. Go get it. You go get it. <laughs> you figure out what to do. Because as cherries, they're literally worth nothing. Um, they're not worth anything until they're coffee. And so they're, if there's not a wet mill any closer, they can't get to. I mean, you have to be – most so, of these guys are carrying their coffee. And I know nothing about wet mills. So to build a wet mill from scratch costs uh, – You could probably do it for about five grand. 
He could do a really awesome one for like 10 grand. <laughs> this is where it's like, it's not, it's not a big deal. No, it's, it's you need water, yeah. which is everywhere. Um, you need cement, which is everywhere. You need cheap labor, which is Africa. Um, <laughs> you need, um, yeah, th- there's a couple of cool machines. So you drop 10 grand in building a wet mill. It's exclusive for Karis coffee. The guys come in, they get paid more to bring in there. So mm-hmm. that ups your uh, available supply, which allows you to scale mm-hmm. for a $10,000 investment. It removes, yeah, it removes middlemen. So farmers get paid more and we get coffee for less all in the same shot. Again, uh, after Beautiful. the show, after the show. <laughs> I, <laughs> and we're yeah. done here. Thanks guys yeah, so, for tuning in. So it's I been a great go. show. We got other <laughs> things happening. Screw you guys in the podcast. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> It's such a real um, – it's so funny because at every turn we, we look at it and go, no, like this can happen. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the the things that would preclude – the things that would keep somebody just from being like, I want to do that is I've spent 15 years getting to know people and figuring out um, why, why farmers aren't growing coffee in Morunga when it's one of the best places to go to coffee. It's because they're getting screwed. And it's like, you know, they can go and sell a banana – to that guy over there who wants to eat a banana for 30 shillings. And that's way easier than all of the time, all of the effort, all of the harvest, all of that with coffee. And then you just don't know what you're going to get for your coffee. And sometimes, you know, you you get, I mean, there's stories of people taking their cherries to the wet mill and the wet mill just not paying them and saying, yeah, thanks. Yeah. We appreciate it. Yeah. But to have a, to have your own, to have your own there and be able to pay top dollar helps them and yeah. guarantees you a supply. And they, they trust us in a way because we, we have spent a lot of time in their, in their home. I mean, they, it's, it's kind of, kind of weird. There's not a lot of Mzungu, not a lot of white folk who uh, go walking through this part of town. So we are well known when we show up. Mm-hmm. Um, people remember me and farmers remember me. Um, so there's a there's a level of trust because if you show up once as a Mzungu, make some promises and never come back, then you've, you've burned a bridge that goes deep, especially in that culture. But for us, we went um, a number of times and, and made no promises other than we're going to come back and, and see you again and, and continue to partner with you and, and help. And so we've been doing that for almost 10 years now, and now they know we're coming back. And then they started saying, like, we, we think that – there, there could be some space for coffee to be sold and, and this could be helpful for us. And we made no promises but said, we agree, but we have to find out more. And so we've just been slowly, carefully. And the, the really sad part is I know so much about coffee now and I am so not a coffee Snob. Snob. Like, I will drink the garbage at a gas station. <laughs> and I just... It's fine. It's, but, like, when you drink, I will admit, when I drink this, I go, oh, okay, so that's different. <laughs> that is a different thing right there. Today's podcast, sponsored by... Oh, yeah, the first <laughs> official sponsor of the All the Things with Luke Tim is Kari's Coffee. Uh, it is so good. It is... And everybody I've given it to... Who, who are the same. They're like, well, I'll drink anything, so I'll give it a try. They drink it and they're going, this is Magic. really good coffee. Yeah. So here's one thing I didn't know. I used to always assume that darker roasted coffee was stronger coffee. No. 
Lighter roast has, has more, more caffeine. caffeine. Mm-hmm. And it will, this stuff will light you up. <laughs> it's a light <laughs> roast because they're really delicate. Um, the, the, the coffee plants are really delicate and they, they have just this. Kenya coffee is always in the top five. So, okay, light roast, dark roast, does it depend on the bean or on the roasting process? It makes it so roasting is always um, what makes it lighter or darker. Okay. But some beans are better roasted light. Some beans are better roasted dark. Um, and if it's there's like so everything from how uh, the, the water content of the beans when roasting them. Um, there's these things called crackings. There's two crackings when you're roasting, and it's like the water gets to a certain temperature, a certain amount of percentage in the water, and the bean itself will crack. So a really good roaster. This is why like we are a long ways from roasting ourselves because none of us know this but i sat with with the guy who roasts our coffee and he goes hey you hear that and i went sure kind of like <laughs> i hear something is that it's called the crack that's the first crack and he pulls beans out and he's just one by one he's lining them up every like 30 seconds he's taking a bean out of the roaster and you know lining them up to watch him get darker and darker and then when he gets to a spot where he hears the second crack and a certain temperature and it looks just right shut the whole thing down, all the beans come out, and then they have to cool them immediately. So there's like this cooling tub in the front of the roaster. It's trippy. Mm-hmm. And that's that would be like the last thing we do because roasters are, are expensive. How much for a roaster? Probably if we were doing enough volume that we wanted to roast it ourselves, we'd be talking 60 grand. Okay. So, I mean, that's... I mean, it's still not crazy, crazy. No. But it's, you know, they, then it's, you're a, it's spending not like, gas and, hey, can I have money for a roaster? It's right. a serious, right. you, you're all in at that point if you buy the roaster. Yeah. And, and we, so the other crazy thing is how, how long does it take to roast like, you know, 60 kilograms or 120 ish pounds of coffee? A, a decent sized roaster would do that in an hour, just mm-hmm. in batches of like little 20, 20 kg batches. You'd be, you'd be done real fast. And that's, I mean, 120, like, so if you're roasting, so the, the guy who roasts for us roasts for, he's thousand so dollars a coffee an hour. You can roast. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. He roasts for, he's got three coffee shops that he just sells brewed coffee and, and other stuff. Uh, he roasts for several companies. He roasts for us and a few other people and he roasts one day a week. That's his job. Well, no, his job is owning coffee shops and stuff, but, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. he does it himself and his, his coffee is phenomenal. But I mean, how just how like that's how much he does is one day I go, is, what is your capacity like? If we came in with like a thousand pounds, he'd be like, I'd have to roast two days a week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, <you're> horrible. <laughs> Stop the madness. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There is there is really and there's no end to it. There's. There's no end to the potential. But no, especially if you have the – anyway, yeah, so good. So good. So kids are getting a hand up in a very yeah. hand-up needed part of the world. And yep. you're doing it through enterprise, not just begging. So that's good. People mm-hmm. are getting a good product at a decent price. Yeah, perfect. Best product in the world because if I, if I was selling T-shirts, I'd sell you one – Maybe you'd buy one for your friend and then you'd have them all that you would ever need. If I'm selling you coffee, you eat it. You put your word on it. <laughs> and then it goes away. Exactly. <laughs> I sell you coffee, right. you drink it, and you need more. Mm-hmm. Love it. Are you lacing it with anything? It feels like it, dude. Is it really? It's really good coffee. You didn't offer me any when I came in. 
I don't have any made, but I can get yeah. you a bag of beans. Sample bag. I got, a, I got a, like 400 sample. I probably have 100 sample bags in my office. Those are yours. Yes. Done. On the show today. On the show today, we should talk about what? Um, we talked coffee. We talked international trade, mm-hmm, shipping, mm-hmm, producing, mm-hmm. product stream, scaling. I mean, importing, exporting. XM, yeah. Um, what do we want to talk about? Do you want to so, talk about politics? Uh, I do because I have a theory and I want to run my theory by you because no one has told me my theory is crazy, but no one has been able to tell me why it's wrong. Can I first tell you for, I, I already told you for all the that'll get you to listen for another five minutes. The, uh, <clears throat> the brilliant, I have a brilliant campaign slogan for Donald Trump. Not that I'm a Trump supporter, but if you were paid by Trump to come up with a slogan, he should give me money for this because it's brilliant. So all he has to do and whenever, <laughs> Whenever whoever is decided to be the Democratic candidate, all he has to do is is spend some time painting that person as just a Hillary Clinton redo. That is it. Like, oh, it's just Hillary Clinton all over again. Well, whoever it is, just same thing Hillary Clinton always said. And then when you get to the debates, whoever it is says whatever they say, he responds with, that's what she said. <laughs> Dude, that would totally work. <laughs> it's right up his alley. <laughs> right. Right. It's hilarious. Because it the Me Too, the everything. Yeah. yeah. It's, oh, that's what she said. Like, that's it. And it would it would piss people off. It would make, like, everything they said to be a joke, which is essentially what he wants to do. It's just like, ah, listen to that. That's what she said. Dude, it would work. It's brilliant. That's worth a million dollars. That would win him the election, for sure. I don't think Democrats want to win. And, and hear, hear me out on this. Let me, let me rephrase. The Democrat Party does not want to win this election. Hmm. Democrats do because we want power and we want our person in there and go team, go, go blue team. But I don't think the Democrat Party wants to win. And the reason why I say that is if you look at when Obama was elected, the only thing Obama benefited on the left side of the spectrum was himself. Mm-hmm. You look at the state, local, and even federal races other than the president, the Democrats almost – ceased to become a national party in by 2016, right? They took it on the chin every election that when Obama was elected except Obama. Now Trump is in office. And Trump, I mean, again, I'm not saying I support him, I don't support him. He is an unpopular president. His, his approval is never been above 50%. It's hovering in the mid to low 40s. He's not a popular president. As long as he's president, if I'm a Democrat in office, I can get reelected. I hate Trump. And in my district, in my purple or blue district, I'm guaranteed to be reelected. Why did why does the Democrat Party want to win the presidency? They'll lose they'll lose power. They'll lose control. It's going to be a divided government anyway. The House and the Senate are going to be one of them. The Republicans are going to control. So the ideologues, you're not going to be able to move the country left. The best thing for the Democrat Party is a Trump presidency. I don't think the party should want to win. And here's my conspiracy theory for why I don't for why I think that. And I don't know that the states that did this, but I know a number of states, Democrat states, have passed legislation saying that the winner of the popular vote in their state is the way that the overall national popular vote is who the electoral college representatives have to vote for. And going, how in the world does that benefit Democrats? It's a Democrat state, and I forget which states did this, but mm-hmm. like, like not even purple, not even close. Democrats are going to win that state, right? So now I'm Trump, and I'm going, all right, so I have five or six states, maybe more, 
that if I win the national popular vote, I pick up these states that there's no way in hell I'm going to win otherwise. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should spend some money in California. Maybe I should spend some money in New York. And if I'm a Republican in those states that I know are going to go blue, well, now all of a sudden my vote counts again because it counts towards the national total, which number of states have, have aligned themselves with. It only benefits Republicans for these laws. Why would the Democrats pass that in a Democrat-controlled state? It doesn't make any sense. Well, so I can poke Unless one hole in you're that. trying to lose the election. I can poke one hole in that conspiracy theory because I am, I'm familiar with those, those states and their um, we will vote with the – uh, popular winner. Sure. They didn't make it actually legally binding. They, they passed these non-legal resolutions saying, we will, we promise. But then you got to go back on your word. Then yeah, you get, then totally you got Then you got to do that. Well, and then that's <laughs> a politician going back on his word. Yeah. But there's fallout for that. Well, I think what they're, what they're trying to do is, I think that's the fake bit of, of, uh, saber rattling is these states who will always go blue saying that we will vote for the because they think blue is going to win the national popular vote well there, but what if it doesn't because right. you're not you're not campaigning to win the national popular vote you're you're campaigning to win 270 electors right i, I think a lot of those people are are local states who are trying to find um find their own little sacred cow their, their own little champion war because they know it's never really going to happen because to, to undo the electoral college, which you're is not going to do it. No, right. Not, possible. but a state, a state can determine. Yeah. Yeah. So what I think they're, what they're doing is they are trying to say to their constituents in California, or, um, I think one of them was Nevada. I, I, I can't remember all of them just to say, Hey, look what we're doing. If you, you know, vote for me for Congress or for Senate or for whatever, we're going to try and get other States to do this too. Cause then 2016 would have went our way. So that's my little hobby horse. That's what I'm going to run on. Vote for me. I'll go, I'll go there and tell those people to do it too. I don't think they want to win. It's it's not unlike the – I don't think anybody wants to fix gun violence. I don't think anybody actually wants to fix immigration. No, they don't want to fix gun violence or immigration. Right, exactly. Because yeah, there's exactly. money in it. <laughs> but No, there's re-election in it. I can keep running on the issue. The minute we solve it, I can't run on the issue. Right. And if I'm, if I'm on the red team, I can win in my red district. If I'm on the blue team, I can win in my blue district by yeah. running on this issue. Everyone knows – how to solve the problem. How you solve immigration is very simple. You make legal immigration easier. Yeah. And you build a big wall to make illegal immigration harder. You don't, no, you don't build a wall. This is what I, I read yeah. this proposal, $10 billion. What you do is you turn it, you turn the entire Southern border into a business, an energy business park mm -hmm. because what's the Southern border? It's hot. There's water on a lot of it, hydroelectric. Mm -hmm. It's sunny, solar, and it's windy. Mm-hmm. Wind. So you just – you a mile on either side of the border, you turn it into a commercial industry, both sides of the border, and you give it to private enterprise with the provision you need to use this land to do uh, uh, renewable energy, harvest renewable energy. The businesses themselves will build fences and walls and yeah. guards and keep people out of their own private business. The energy – I mean but now you have – you know, you can they'll obviously employ a lot of people. Right. You'll get a ton of renewable energy and you've solved the border problem in a way that benefits both Mexico and the United right. States for a one. And it's I mean, I, I'm a small government guy, so uh, 
a small, a, a one-time yeah. investment. No, I get it. And I, I actually read that proposal too. And I, I like it, but it, it's essentially building a wall, but it's having the power companies do it. The part that I don't like is uh, the amount of imminent domain land grabbing <laughs> that would, would go of into it. that. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, but you just offer them a, por- a portion of the proceeds. This company is going to come in yeah. and buy the last mile of your land, which let's be honest, you're not building up to the border anyway. Right. And you'll get 10% of the of the net yeah. proceeds from no, but the, the, the point solar is, panels that you, are put you there. You do need to keep people from illegally. Because the only reason, if immigration is easy, if legal immigration is easy, the only reason to illegally immigrate is for all You're the bad. wrong reasons. Yes. It's like, because I want to sell drugs. I have cocaine I have in life. With me. <laughs> so, I don't want you to know that. Yeah, so I'm going to go over here. Yeah, no, I, I mean, if, if the vast majority of them coming in honestly just want a better life for their family back in whatever hellhole they're from, and you're willing to work hard and do crap jobs and work and work and work, why don't we want you here? Right. Like, you're you're who built America. We'll run a background check, make sure you're not running from something, make sure you, you know, you're law abiding from the country you're from. You prove that and you show us your plan for making money here. We'll give you a green card. And if you've kept your side of the street clean and paid taxes for 10 years, congrats, you're a citizen. Right. Well, here's, here's the other hole in the theory that the democratic party doesn't want to win is the democratic candidates I think want to win because there's a ton of money in it for them. But I'm talking about the party. I think Democrats yeah. want to win. I think all the candidates either want to win or have a seat in the new administration. that's mm-hmm. better than where they are now, or just get name recognition, whatever. But I don't think the Democrat party should want to win. Yeah, no, I, I actually do get that argument, but it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter too much if they're trying, if the candidates themselves are trying to win, so it would have to be like the DNC is trying to put the worst. But how would they do that? How would they tank them? I can't, I, what is the mechanism by which? Well, th- well, okay, so they I mean, throw an election again. This is off the cuff conspiracy theory, right? So it's going to be terrible. You're crackpot. But CNN <laughs> is it. CNN's hosting the debates, right? Mm-hmm. Their ratings are good with Trump. The minute it's Democrat president, what does CNN do? They have nothing. Their talking point is gone. Oh, there'll always be something. But not as good. Trump was a gift to them. Trump is is good. He's so CNN does not want Trump to leave office. But what can CNN do? Debate questions. Making them raise their hands. Do you favor illegal paying health care for illegal immigration? Raise your Mm -hmm. hand. Congrats. None of you are electable. Yeah. They knew what they were doing with that. They knew that you have to raise your hand and all Trump has to do is play that video back and be like, this is what your money's going to go for if you vote for Twiddledum over here. Yeah. That was that was one of the the strangest moments in debate politics that I've ever seen. Because these Democrats know that position is fringe left that I need to win the nomination and that is an issue that matters for people that are going to vote and that is not America's not there. Yeah, and that's a that's one where whoever gets the nomination is going to have to pivot hard. And that's what the pundits are saying that they are so far to the left now. That the the founder of BET just came out and was like, "Whoa, guys. <laughs> like you're I'm with he's with Trump, right? He's saying tr- the Trump economy is good, Trump's not bad, and you guys are off the reservation." Right? The founder of BET. Yeah. Right? So 
they've gone so hard left that pivoting back now is going to be hard because we have you on record. Yeah. And, and unmistake, like raise your hand. Oh, I was picking my nose. No, uh, my thoughts have you were seriously not. evolved in the last 18 months. <laughs> and America's not buying it because you're all, they're all establishment politicians, except for the one poet or the author. She's a gem. She is. What is her name again? She's on the one on the end. Ma- Mary, Mary, Marianne, uh, crackhead. She is. She's like a new age. That's so her, it was, her mom wrote these like religious, spiritual books. No, she was trained in the, the promise, the way, the, the secret, the something. Yeah, it was this like hippy-dippy thing that was like, here's how to get everything you want in life and be happy. And there's like this training that's involved. But it's a spiritual others. religious yeah. thing. It's not like economics. Ew. Ew. No, it's all – and it's like vaguely Jesus. I mean there's a no, Jesus The name's in there. Yeah. In the same way Jesus is in the Quran. Marianne Williams? Williams? Yeah, Marianne Williams. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, she's – Fun to listen to. Holy cow. Um, yeah, I think that uh, somebody did say, yeah, we make fun of her, but there are so many other soccer moms out there who are listening to that, nodding their heads, going, yeah. That sounds good. I, and, and they have, no, they're using crystals. Like it, it never ceases to amaze me when I meet somebody and they talk about crystal power healing stuff. And I'm like, really? That rock in your pocket? <laughs> That's not. That's keeping the boogeyman away. Really, tell me. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that uh, that pivot is going to be dramatic. It, it is going to be fun to watch. All of a sudden, no, I know. I said, just but I was just trying ago. to get you to vote for me. <laughs> now I need other here. people to vote for me, and so I'm going to say this. I, I it was telling how broken recordy Sanders sounded, right? And with, with him on a stage with 23 other people his voice gets lost because they're all as radical as he is. Mm-hmm. Most of them. Now they are. I, Biden is, is still, I think, the guy who's going to end up with it, even though mm, he's a bad candidate. Yeah. You think Kamala? I don't, no, Kamala, and I hate to say this, she's too angry black woman to really get tra- to, to win. Mm. She's not electable. She she does not come across, she's not inspiration. She comes across as angry. Yeah. I think she comes across as angry and her face is not symmetrical. <laughs> You let it doom Ted Cruz. The only reason Ted Cruz didn't win because his face is cement. And it's the same thing with her. And you dig into her work as a prosecutor. She's going to have done some things that the left is not going to stand for. Did she prosecute kids for truancy? Yeah. She's not electable. That's like, I, it blows my mind that, that people are on her, on her boat because it, like the worst thing you can do is in a place where, yeah, where she was was predominantly African American, and take mm-hmm. kids who skip school and make a big deal about it and put them in jail. Yeah, I was like, dude, Separa- separating them from their parents, kids separating kids from their families. Yeah, putting them in cages. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, <laughs> I mean, it was, you would know. Like, holy shit, that's like the the worst thing you like. Let's let's not even wait until. You hit all of the other social problems that are going to... Like murder. That, that bias you towards drugs and murder. Like all the other social issues Rape. where you failed in your community to help you. Let's just... Let, you let's skip school. You are... <laughs> let's go to jail. <laughs> no, and I I, I don't understand. I, I get that she's like a pit bull. She went after Biden and that was good for her brand. But the more you listen to her talk... Um, I, she's not, she's not agreeable. She doesn't invite you to join her. She is, 
I want to bite this other person's head off. Yeah. And I don't think that is going to, that's not winning. I, 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 the, the Democrats that were on stage, Gay Pete came across as the best debater and as was the... Was he a master at it? Did he masterfully debate? <laughs> <laughs> Buy my coffee. In front of everyone? <laughs> Buy my coffee. <laughs> um, no, he came across... I thought he came across as the most polished and the most, like, in a good way, politician. For sure. Yeah. yeah I like him. Um, I, 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 he has a, a, a very challenged view of understanding Christian ethics, but, yeah. but I think there is a sense that he's going after the PCUSA Episcopal and ELCA and, and UMC yeah. Christians. I think he's shooting for uh, VP. I think, I think what, whoever wins is going to seriously look at Pete Buttigieg and, and consider him for Why? VP. Why? Indiana is not a toss up state. And you've already got the GLBT vote locked down. Well, it's you're you're looking to snag some of those um, liberal Christians, Christians that are in the middle who are like Trump says no to abortion, but geez, that guy's a dick. <laughs> and then here's Pete, and he's a Christian too, sort of, except man love, yeah, openly man love. But like there, there's a big chunk. That's what I'm of saying. The liberal, the liberal, yeah, the liberal, the liberal mainline denominations. They don't think they're liberal. Is the other thing. Like, okay, we the mainline denominations, <laughs> but the vast majority. I think the vast majority of Christians in our country believe that there is nothing wrong with homosexuality. No, I think so. You said vast majority and absolutely not. I think the Christian church is challenged in our understanding of what is homosexuality. And, and now we're going to go on a tangent, right? So I was talking to our youth guy, John Ritchie, Young Life Area Director, our youth guy, great guy. He understands youth cult. He understands Generation Z and I don't. So I asked him, explain whatever comes after millennials to me. And, he said, and I was like, explain like this fascination with gay and lesbian and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And he said, here's basically a paraphrasing him. He said, here's the difference. When people your generation, Gen X, think gay, you think the sex act, Mm -hmm. right? I'm like, what else would you think? He's like, well, see, exactly. He goes, for younger people, it's a group. It's a social group. Most of them are celibate. They don't, they don't have, when they think, and even when they think about that intimacy, they don't think about someone of the same gender. That's just the group that has accepted them. Mm Mm-hmm. And so their initiation into that group, the test, if you will, is to come out and say, I'm gay. Mm-hmm. You can say that, then you're part of the group. And but what they want is the community in the group. So it, it, it opened my eyes to like, oh, <laughs> it actually makes a lot of sense. Well, it, it makes sense because the, the overall population uh, of uh, people who would identify as same-sex attraction still remains pretty low. But if you go to a junior high or high school, uh, hippie brother, um, in and ask you know how many people there identify as same-sex or something other than a, a standard binary whatever, it's way higher. But then if you ask him, which one of you are physically intimate with people of the same gender? It'd be pretty low. It'd be pretty low. And to me, that's, you just want attention. Like until, to me, I mean, in, in that sense, you're describing not just a tendency, but an activity when I think right. homosexuality. So I think the Christian community is wrestling with this, that when I say we're anti-homosexual, 
I am anti not people. I am anti behavior, a, a specific behavior. Yeah. And I think the Christian church is majority against that behavior, but they're not anti the people. I see. I don't think so. I think the majority, and I think it's a pretty wide majority, of people who would identify as Christian, and that includes those people who haven't been to church in 20 years, have no opinion or do not believe that being attracted to the same sex, acting on it or not, any of that is, is wrong at all. I think the most of the, most Christians feel that way. Mm, no, Dude. I'm not there. I'm not there. I think I think the big question for us is: so you identify the behavior as a sin. What do you want to do to the people who practice it? The answer is nothing. Yeah, right. And I think that's that's the barrier between like someone like me would be like: do I think two men should be intimate with each other? No. Two women? No. But Wait, do, two w- women? Would I take any steps? Yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest. With the woman in front and a man behind. Ooh, who let the dogs out? You gotta listen to the words of that song. It's not it's not a happy song. No. But anyway, um but I guess it would be a happy song. Anyway, I, but but then the next question is so what do you, Mr. Mr. Social Conservative, want to do about it? Like honestly, nothing. I no. don't I don't have and I think there may be a divide among more conservative people on some people do want to be proactively anti anti stop it, do something. And those of us that are Christian, like as a Christian, I recognize that behavior as, as sinful. And so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> but that's the only reason. <laughs> well, no, but, 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 we, but we've Duncan would be all in. Oh man. No. Um, <laughs> but we've bought into the, um, we've bought into the lie that the homosexual community has been propagating in, in, in culture in general, the idea of a sexual identity. Yes. And I would argue that's Gnostic. There is sexual behavior, but my identity is what, what does that, what does that even mean? It means that if I would be intimate, I would be intimate with someone who is this or that. So well, that's nothing that you've, you've said nothing. And I think we can challenge the, the worldview in a way that doesn't, that isn't predicated on Christian faith by challenging the idea of sexual identity as, as a myth. Well, identity in itself is, is a um, interesting topic to get on because I've said this countless times. That's, that is one of the, the reasons why the proclamation that we have that is um, set apart and, and opposed to same sex marriage, attraction activities, all of that. We look at it in, in terms of our identity is as created things refine that to a christian as uh, a child of god and because of jesus we refine it and, and define it so differently than a lot of people who define themselves and identify in in very different ways without something that is bigger grander and um outside of ourselves to identify us like as soon as you get in that space um, emotionally and, and uh, psychologically, you do start to look for something to say, well, identify as. And I, and I warn people about this because no matter what it is, you're on shaky ground. If you identify, Duncan may, may come to you and say, I identify as a dad because I am a dad. I have kids that I have sired myself. And, <laughs> and there they are. These are the children that are mine. With my loins. With my loins. I girded them and I girded them again. 
and I have children. And I will rear them. Yeah, and I will rear them until they are reared. Yeah, so you have children. Now, um, I don't believe in jinxing, so I'm just going to say if, if something tragic happened, your kids are gone. Have you lost that identity? Mm-hmm. Or you identify as a businessman, but now your business fails. You identify as a husband, you get divorced. You identify whatever it is, it, there, there's always a way that that can get taken away from you. So what people start to do is, is uh, find ways to identify internally. Again, and this is because we've set aside the, the idea that someone, a, a personal God, is able to say, here's how you actually identify because I call who you are by name. I choose. I have identified you as humans. Here's how I've designed you. All of that kind of stuff. Get it, you, you set that aside, and now you're saying internally, I get to choose how to identify. And um, it's just like with my my freaking kid when he was young. I, my son Isaac, who's now 15 and an awesome kid. There there was this moment in time when he was two years old, and he just decided he wasn't going to chew and swallow his food. And I went, all right, we are sitting here. He's maybe older than two. We're going to sit here until you you bite in his mouth, chew and swallow that. 45 minutes. 45 freaking minutes. I was like, this kid has (laughs) got some resolve. Yeah. (laughs) Stubborn little shit. Um, Why was he doing that? I control everything about his life at that age. And it was like down to there's this one thing I can control. So I can't just choose to identify as an astronaut like that makes I can't choose to identify as a lot of stuff. So people, the sort of the one thing they get to have left to say, this is who I am and I am the decider on this. I get to, to choose how I identify is sexuality. I think there's a lot of that out there where, where people may not have any real physiological um, biochemical things going on in them that makes them identify as you know non-binary gender fluid or, or any of these things that we have to deal with now. It may just be, I want to control some part of my identity and I want to call it out and I want to say what I identify as. And here's a spot where I can say that and there is nothing, you can't tell me it's different. Nobody else can tell me it's different. Um, nothing in this world can change to make it different can't be taken away from me. This is who I am. I am gay. I am this. I am that. Whatever it is. That's what I think is at the center of that. I, I, yes, and I'll agree with, with our youth guy, but I think it also has to do with the communal acceptance. Mm-hmm. If I identify as this, yeah, then I also gain this tribe. Yeah, and there's and that's an acceptance into a tribe, which is powerful, and you, you can't really argue against it. Like, I can't decide to identify as an astronaut and call up Neil Armstrong and be like, hey, man, Buddy. it's so great that yeah. we're astronauts. Like, but you've never- Can I come over and barbecue with all the rest of the astronauts? And, and probably sociologically, identifying with that group is a middle finger to the groups that have already rejected you. Mm-hmm. Right, the jocks, the overperformers, the Christian, whatever it is, you would let me in your club, so I'm going to join a club that I know will accept me and piss you off. Yeah, and that's those are external things. Remember, like, so you you can't identify as the starting quarterback of your high school football team if you're not. 
I mean, you could say, I've decided that I am the starting. You're not, you're not coming to practice, dude. Like <laughs> we don't want you <laughs> go away. <laughs> so, so those, those, yeah, they, there's these external qualifiers that absolutely say that's not who you are that I don't care if that's what you feel like on the inside. You're actually not the starting quarterback. You're not on the football team. So no, you're not coming to practice. And no, you're not hanging out with us for team functions and meetings and all this kind of stuff. You're not Because you one of didn't us. make the team. Right. But all I have to do is say, I'm team gay. They'll accept me. And nobody no can say I'm asked. not team gay. Right. And I get accepted. Yeah. I get accepted by a group. Mm-hmm. And, and, I d- and that group defines itself. I... One of the one of the worst things for the gay community, I think, is universal acceptance by the rest of society. Because the minute nobody cares that you're gay, yeah, it goes away. The GLBT, like we got it, we're fine. Yeah, well, we're oh, no one's, we don't care. Mm-hmm. Like, and and it's almost what is that 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 kid's book about the monster under the bed? If you just ignore it, it goes away. It gets smaller and smaller and smaller and disappears. Yeah, they they've they've defined their identity almost as a struggle against uh, heteronormative oppressive culture. Well, now the culture is still heteronormative, but it's not oppressive. And so GLBT is going to have to really quick realize one: you don't want the T in with you, but the GLB club is really going to have to redefine what it means to be them because no one cares anymore. Right. And they've defined themselves by wearing, you know, dog collars and parading through downtown, whatever in a, in a parade. Now that parade sponsored by Nike, mm-hmm. right? Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's going to be an interesting thing. I do think there will be a break that the, the transgender community, the T and the GLBT, the GLB is again, I think they need to distance themselves from the T's. Because culture is not jumping on the T bandwagon. We're not jumping on, oh, you think you're a girl so you can run in girls' sports and dominate and be a girl weightlifter. People aren't jumping on that. They're realizing that, no, when we say boy, we mean X, Y. When we say girl, we mean XX. And whatever you think you are, a unicorn princess or whatever, no one cares. And that's again. This we have this very. There's a there's an external qualifier, and that's ex, that's exactly where they overreached. They started mm-hmm. to overreach when they were like, "Yeah, so we're going to have." I mean, the big one. I think there was Texas was one of the states, but there was a few places where in wrestling. Yeah, and the and the yeah. And so it's like, dude, you can't do that. You you can't you you can't live your life um, with testosterone coursing through your veins, get big and strong, and then say, I want to compete in girl sports. What if I cut my penis off? Still not going to cut it. That's a bad decision, but you know <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. doesn't make you a woman. It makes you a guy with no penis. Yeah, and I, I'm the guy, if, you know, outside of faith, just talking social stuff, more power to you. You go ahead and, and have that thing removed. I, I don't care. But I do have like a, a vested, uh, not really a vested interest. I have... Uh, I'm I'm kind of involved and connected with wrestling communities. I was a wrestler in high school and college, and I can tell you, I, I wrestled a girl in high school. It's not the same. They're not the same. Did you lose? No. No, very, very bad things happened. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell this story. I'm not proud of this story. I'll tell this story. I didn't know you wrestled girls. No. I wrestled a girl. This one time. <clears throat> well, there was, there's, I have a couple of girl wrestling stories. 
<coughs> Hang on, sorry about that. Seven minutes in heaven yeah. is what we called it growing <laughs> up. But maybe <laughs> did you spill? That was a good joke. All right, <clears throat> no. So I was at a public school for for two years until I had to find another school to go to. Um, <laughs> for reasons and stuff. So in this this public school, um, I was on was on the varsity wrestling team as a freshman. Um, but this was, I believe, my sophomore year wrestling. So I was uh, not not trying to be the guy who's you know pat myself on the back, but I was a pretty talented wrestler. It's freshman mm-hmm. or big school, and on the varsity team as a freshman was kind of a big deal. Sophomore year, I'm wrestling. I think one twelve. I was. So you were. Oh, a, a little guy. A little guy. Yeah. It's all split was, cup and everything. Yeah. I was cutting weight hard, but I was I was a little guy, and uh, a girl wanted to come out for the wrestling team. Now this is back in the nineties. St- like it's just weird. the cutting edge of that. Nobody knows how they feel about it. Mm-hmm. Coach came over to me and said, listen, um, she's right about your weight class. She's you coming. don't have a date to homecoming. <laughs> we can make this work. <laughs> and he goes, um, this is her first practice. I want this to be her last practice. So okay. he paired us up and we drilled. The entire practice. It was hard. hard. You drilled her hard. I drilled her and drilled her. And, but what I did um, was I wrestled her like it was a state championship match mm-hmm. for an hour and just ground her into the mat. And she quit. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I'm not proud of it. I, I did what my coach told me to do. I was a young kid. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have done that today. Uh, obviously, well, um, you, well, let, let's go back. So, fifty-year-old Luke Tim is now with in in a seventeen, sixteen-year-old body. Well, coach says I want you to wrestle the girl, and you would say, "Okay, but um, I'm going to treat her like I would treat anybody, and we're not going to make a whole practice about picking on the new kid." Right. Okay. And and I'm not going to uh, intentionally cause somebody. A great deal of physical discomfort and pain for an hour because I don't want them in this room. I mean, I felt really gross doing it. I felt really terrible afterwards. Wasn't a fan of that coach. Did you talk to the girl? Because you're in the same school. It was a big school. We Our graduating class would have been, um, had I stayed there, would have been close to 2,000. Oh, okay. So you're not, you don't need to see her. No, no, no close circles at all. Um but that just wasn't the right way. If if she was, well, and here's the thing: is, is she wasn't good enough to be on the team, anyways. It, and they would have figured that out. It would have been normal. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that she had more than a very, very limited amount of wrestling experience. It was Wisconsin, which is a wrestling state. Uh, everybody on the team had been wrestling since they were seven, you know, even younger than that. And this was not this was not going to work out for her. But it shouldn't have gone that way. I mean, she left the room crying. And I was like, ugh. And it wasn't because, hey, that's a normal practice. That's what we do. No. It was, I paired you up with a guy who's going to sh- smash, give you, you ringworm. <laughs> she might have gotten ringworm. That room was gross. But yeah, no, I, I spent just a, an hour, just nothing illegal. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. not like I jumped up and dropped an elbow on her or something. Exactly. All of a sudden, <laughs> WWE, woo! Um, but no, we, it just, so that was... That was the first the the first really bad experience I had wrestling a girl and and I can just tell you there's a difference there's a difference there's um hips are different bone structure is different um 
aggression. Now, I'm not saying that there can't be outliers. I'm not saying that. And I'm not opposed to... So wrestling is, is one of the closest ones where y- you can get close to having a, a fair competition because you've got the weight is the same. So if you have 103 pounds... It's all about where the weight is and yeah. what the weight can do, yeah. But it's still not the same because, um, you know, muscle uh, fibers are different in men and women. That's just That is just a fact. And anybody who wants to argue that wants to tell you that biology isn't real. We're the same people who be like, you have to believe in climate science because the science is in. Science says. Science denier. And you're science like, says. Science says. And they go, nah. So is this the end of women's sports? And what I mean by that is, okay, so let's just break down the gender barriers and say the best 16 people in the school make the wrestling team. Whoever those 16 are, we're not going to have a women's wrestling team. We're not going to have a men's top 16. Mm-hmm. because, and I, you have to go back in history. I don't think that most of the major sports started as men's football, men's basketball, men's hockey, men's, it was, we're putting together teams of the best people that we can get to play the sport. Mm-hmm. Right. And if, and if a woman can play, then why wouldn't you want her on your team? You have a greater chance of winning. And no, then I don't the, think that's true. No, no. I, I think sports started as a boys club and this is what boys do. Boys play sports and, and girls cook and bake and stuff like real i think that that sort of well, there was a social expect there was a social expectation of that but then yeah. what if what if a woman tried out for the whatever team and was kick-ass she wouldn't have made the team because she's a girl because i think that's the direction we're going is if we can't agree on what male and female is right i mean logical conclusion if the transgender thing becomes accepted there is no difference between male and female it's all about again identity what you think you are then we're just going to pick the best people for the spots on the team and go with it and have one team. Right. And it'll be all dudes. Yeah. So I, that's one direction. The direction I think that I actually heard this proposed and it sounds so nonsensical. It's, it's ridiculous is to move sports in a direction that doesn't favor physical abilities. Yeah. Known as academics. Well, it would be, it would be sports like, um, Uh, archery. No. See, kids don't go up out for a pickup game of archery. (laughs) That's the point. That's so the person trying to, to say this is talking about, that's not going to work. No. Next issue. Right. And it's then it favors people that aren't blind. And now the sight disadvantaged (sighs) me, I wear glasses uh, that's not fair because you people that are 2020 have an advantage. Well, and there's, you, you, you're really trying to get to a point where you're like making, making people's, you're socializing people's interests. Like I want to see a man fly through the air over other men and smash a ball through a hole. Cause it's awesome. And that's it, it my interest is awesome. You're like you need to change what you're interested in and like something different that we can all no. like equally together. Yeah. That kid got wedgies when he was in high school. <laughs> Whoever that guy is, I'm, he, he's the kid you shoved in the locker and that's, and, and that's, that's, that's not going to happen. I, there's I, a good debate right now about women's soccer. So should the women's soccer, the U S women's soccer team get paid more than the men's soccer team. They should get paid whatever they can negotiate to get paid. Well, here's the thing. The the ratings for the women's soccer is way higher 
than the men's soccer. But the men's soccer brings in more money overall. That's so there's two sources of well, there's more than two sources of of money for sure. But f- for things like you know, um, Rapino, Megan Rapino, I think it's Megan Rapino. She is going to get way, way better sports uh, endorsements than any of the dudes. Mm-hmm. I can't think of a single person's name on our men's soccer team. I'm not buying clothes because a men's soccer player wore it. Right. I mean, I, yeah. But like her contract for like selling Rapino soccer shoes. Is going to be Nike huge. Should be way bigger, and I think it is bigger than the dudes. So that that's but see that the question is: Should the U.S. the the, the people who pay our soccer team to play soccer? Because there is that there is this salary mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you have a job and you wake up and you run in circles for a while and that's your job. Should they get paid more because they technically bring in more revenue for the the U.S. soccer club? They should get paid whatever they can negotiate through themselves or their agent. They, they That's should the, be negotiating and get paid more. They should negotiate better. Yeah. Because if you think you're worth more, then go in and negotiate for it. If you mm-hmm. think you deserve – like any other job, if you think you deserve a raise and you think you get paid somewhere – like you go into your boss and be like, give me a 15% raise or I walk. Yeah. Because I can get more working somewhere else. Yeah. It's what it's what you can negotiate. So it's going to be this, this altruistic third party that – Fairly and equitably distribute set. No, the market will bear it out that they yeah. should be paid more. But you thought I was going to take the socialist side no, of that? No, no, no. Okay. But internationally, that's yeah. that's the other side that's interesting because like ticket sales and everything else just favors men's soccer over women's soccer. Okay. So if the U.S. plays, you know, uh, Germany, that game is going to net a ton more <laughs> than if the U.S. women play. The, the German team. Yeah. Because more people like men's soccer. Because it moves faster and it's bigger kicks. I actually like women's soccer better to watch. It's like it's like watching four-on-four four hockey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It, this, there's more space. More mm-hmm. stuff happens. Goalies. Less drama, too. I mean, I didn't watch a whole lot of women's soccer, but, like, anytime I tune in or flipping through the channels and the sports station, so you stop at each one to see what's going on. It's men's soccer. Someone's always pretending that they hurt their knee. Mm-hmm. Right. And it doesn't matter. That's half the game is some guy pretending and women's soccer. I didn't see. I mean, again, nearly just as much, but yep. flipping through, you never see that. And so to their credit, thanks for not flopping. Yeah. And goalies, dudes, goalies, like for the men's leagues, they're all six, seven the br- stretchy yeah, like, arms and yeah. everything. Yeah. It's so like the scoring is down. It's just, it's a different game. I would rather watch women's soccer. That's one of the only sports I can think of. Because like you, you can't you can't make the argument that women's women's, women's tennis women's tennis same same reason yes volleys back and forth it's not crushing serve return point right. it's we're pl- actually playing tennis that is another one you're right women's tennis is better to watch although the the grunting and yelling is you got you got to mute you got to mute it yeah because it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Did it really hurt that much to hit a tennis ball or what's yeah. going on? And if your wife is in the other room, she's going to think you're watching something else. <laughs> but anyways, I digress. Um, yeah, I think I think that um, sports will be the the undoing of the full trans movement because that is, again, where they've they've overreached. You, you, we just can't we can't have dudes going out for women's sports and just mauling everybody. I mean, it would, it would ruin 
women's sports. It ruins sports. So, and, and why can't we say, when we say women's sports, we mean XX. We say men's sports, we mean XY. And no doping and go. Right. And that's, and that's what it is. I think the other thing, the tranny movement is going to, that's going to undo them. I think you have the sports side of it where we're actually seeing what this looks like when you accept and embrace it. It looks, it's not, is the, that with like the 10 year old boy that dresses up like a girl and does dancing in strip in gay strip clubs, Mm -hmm. things like that. It only takes a few of those for people to be like, yeah, I'm not, there's something about this that makes me very unsettled. And I, I can't, this is, this is wrong. For sure. This is wrong. That the, the child exploitation and, and that's connection to, to transvestitism, transsexualism, the library readings with the uh, drag queens in the libraries. Mm-hmm. I think you're, you're creating, a, a, and there was one of them in Ames. I believe there was a, a drag yeah. queen. Um, it's the, I just want to go to the library with my kid and now I can't even go there. Right. Right. Like why do we need, I mean, my, my question is why are we, why, why do we want to push a sexual agenda on unrelated minors? Why do you want to talk to unrelated minors about sex so much? Mm -hmm. That's weird. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we had a guy uh, at my last church. Um, and this was after I left. So the vicar that I left there, Joshua Ohm, I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) teaching confirmation was sixth commandment time. And so he's going to go told all the parents, Hey, we're going to talk about sex. Like, if your kid still believes in Santa Claus and the Easter bunny, this probably is not, you want to like, you want to grow up. And there's a member of the church that said, well, I, he's pro-choice. And, uh, well, you're, you're going to teach him about, uh, safe sex. He's like, yeah, abstinence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the safest kind. <laughs> ta-da. <laughs> and he says, well, he volunteered to come in and show the kids how to put condoms on a banana. And so the vicar calls me up. He's like, is this normal? It's absolutely not normal. Like, <laughs> think about it. Like, you're the vicar. You, you're, you, I mean, you're pretty much a pastor. You're teaching God's word commandments. Nowhere in the Bible does it talk about, and then the Lord said, wear condoms <laughs> and put them on bananas, right? So here's this guy unrelated to any of the kids here. They're minors. They're prepubescent, right? He wants to come in and talk to them about sex. That's weird. Yeah. There's just something weird about that. And I think the transvestite community, transsexual community, um, they're preying on underage and the minors. I think that's what also changes the dynamic of the debate against them. Yeah. Because the, the, the gay, lesbian, bisexual was never geared exclusively towards minors. I mean, you had your GLB clubs in school that were like, why are we, why are we sexual? Like, this is still weird. But the T community is targeting kids. Yeah. And that's a bridge too far, I think, for the mythical average American. Yeah. Back where all this started with, with Pete Buttigieg, uh, I, I feel like he's a, uh, an attractive candidate for I think he's, a lot of people yeah. for VP. I really do. I do. <clears throat> I mean, I'm not voting for him. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the the idea of if we can get maybe not for Joe Biden because Joe Biden is still a good Catholic in his own definition. Pro choice. He says he's a good Catholic. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. But he <sighs> might not need that bump. He's not going to get the nomination. So who do you think, who do you got? Someone who's in like sixth or seventh place right now. I I I don't. 
I'd be very surprised if Kamala Harris can win over people that she hasn't already won over because she's not likable. Biden is going to slip. I mean, and again with Biden, I'm just going on the past, right? He's this is the third or fourth time he's run for president, mm-hmm. and he never gets out. He never gets away gets away from first base, right? He's he's not a good politician in that sense. Um, and and uh, so Bernie Sanders, nope. We've been there. We've done that. Right. We we don't we don't want him in a crowded field. He doesn't he doesn't have that because the Democrats don't have that candidate that everybody else hates, like Hillary. Mm-hmm. Where Sanders is a crazy lunatic, but I hate Hillary. Mm-hmm. There's no one people hate, so there's no opposition vote, right? So there's no. That's what propelled Sanders. You have a bunch of crazy kids that don't want to pay their student loans, and then you have people who hate Hillary, and that's enough to almost win in the Democrat primary. So then, okay, so now you move. I'm thinking the debate stage. You move out, um, in the first round of debates. I still think the only one that can beat Trump is Tulsi Gabbard. I love Tulsi Gabbard. I think she can beat I think she's the only one of the field that I've seen that I'm convinced could beat Trump. And it comes down to this on a debate stage. You have former military, you have a veteran, so you get some of that veteran mm-hmm. vote. She's not her foreign policy is pretty strong. I mean, if you're a, a hawk, she's pretty strong. I mean, she's No, no, she's anti-war. Mm, Tulsi Gabbard, she's strong defense. No, she's 100% like she is no more intervention. Yeah, but she's strong defense. She's not a, right? I mean, what do you mean? Like she's she's like super go military, but that's it's what like, I'm saying. Get out of war. Yeah, don't use the military. So if you're right. a hawk, so, so you're I'm, yeah, not not her. Right, but but she so she lines with Trump on that. She's liberal enough. I mean, she's crazy liberal in some areas mm-hmm. that she gets the liberal base is coming along, but then peels off a few conservatives on the. The military, the military mm-hmm. service, and she's young and she ain't ugly. I don't, I don't understand why the Democratic Party, so many people hate Tulsi. I just had this conversation. They don't want to win. I just told, I had a conversation with Brandon. Well, like my my brother and his wife hate Tulsi Gabbard. Why? I asked that question. I and I, I keep being like, I even, I it's in my search history from like four days ago. I was like, why? Democrats hate Tulsi Gabbard. Like, I don't get it. The, the Everything I keep, that I come back to is once upon a time when she was like 20. So there's there's a handful of small things that don't seem to add up. Once upon a time when she was like 19, 20 years old, she worked for her dad who had a uh, conversion therapy, a pray the gay away business. Mm-hmm. So that's strike one. Strike two is she met with Assad when she was in Syria. And people are like, he's an evil dictator who murders people. Okay, finish your story because I got one on that too. And then, well, I, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a mark against her. <laughs> then um, the third and seemingly biggest one is she jumped ship from Hillary to Bernie at a real critical time. And when she jumped ship, because she was actually working with the Hillary campaign and was like, screw this, I'm going to the Bernie campaign, throwing my energy and effort to get him elected. She very publicly said, because the the Hillary campaign is corrupted, the DNC is corrupted, and they are rigging this thing so for Bernie. she was right. right. Yeah. And everybody was like, how dare you say those things? She A lot of people blame her for torpedoing Hillary. So I had a buddy of mine, a um, friend of mine is in the defense industry, 
and uh, is pretty very knowledgeable. Uh, he'll probably run for Congress one day. I'm connected in mm-hmm. DC. Anyway, he came to my dad's burial, right? And there's a few of us there, so we got to talking. Um, who's the one with the supercharged brand new Range Rover at the funeral? Well, that's my buddy Steve. Mm-hmm. And so Those Steve and I, so Steve and I got talking about politics. And I said, Tulsi's the one person that can be Trump. Just to see what because he's connected, like, mm-hmm. and your comeback to that is? And his comeback was one thing you said. He goes, Nope, because she supported Assad. I said, Steve, nobody cares. Like in your circle in the beltway, that may be, you know, the kiss of death or the mark of Cain. Nobody cares. Because you can make an argument for supporting Assad, for not because everybody over there is bad. So, but if that's the mark, if that was the only thing he could say against her. Um, she's Hindu, right? So she has a little religious wackadoodle yeah. stuff going on. But I think, again, it's her next to Trump on a stage. Yeah. And just see how that goes down. A military veteran. Mm-hmm. And he's going to badmouth the veteran. Mm-hmm. You can't afford to lose too many of those. Mm-hmm. So now you, and she's a woman. You got to be, and she's young and she's got energy. She surfs, you know. Mm-hmm. It would be a very compelling case for her, just the optics of her on stage next to Trump. I agree. And, and the thing about the whole Assad thing is all she did was meet with him. This whole, it, it got spun up that, that she supports him. She never, never said a word of support. She's like, I'm here in Syria for, for reasons. You're going to be voting on whether we assassinate you or not. I sh- we should get to know each other. <laughs> yeah, he, she was like, I had an opportunity to meet with him and find out from his perspective what's going on. So I did. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you can't meet. That shows that you support. You can't. T- that same now. people that are supporting Trump meeting with Kim Jong-un, right? Yeah, right. It's all the same. So here we are. Politics. No, I, and again, I don't support her. She's crazy left. It's, you know, whatever. I just think of the people that are on that stage. She's the only one with the biography and the, and the that I think can be Trump. I don't yeah. see how. Democrats hate her. It's so weird. Minor issues that don't matter. Well, she's not going to get the nomination if everybody that's nominating her hates her. No, but she's the only one that can beat him. Who else can beat him? Oh, I don't think anybody's going to beat him. I, I'm 100, 100% believe that Trump's going to win. I do. I'm 80. Yeah, I might be 90. I'm close. It depends to on. Like, there's a lot up. of dumb stuff that he can do between now true. and. True. Yeah, that's true. For sure. I, I do think, though, he's setting up a couple of things to happen October surprise style. And it's a final trade deal with China. And it's and it's sealing the deal with Kim Jong-un. Mm-hmm. I think he's setting those up for for late in the stretch election. Oh, by the way, the tariffs are over. We won. Yay. Mm-hmm. And maybe, I mean, the outlier for there would be supporting a revolution in Iran to overthrow the, the people there. Right. I don't I don't think that's as realistic. But I do think it's possible that he's setting up a resolution to the to the tariff thing. Um, August, September, the economy, your portfolio goes up 15% in one month and he wins. Yeah. I, I don't think that's a bad, bad guess. But yeah. But that's politics. There's no way. There's no way he's going to. Should we talk about the youth gathering? Yeah. Are you going? By the way, for those of you not in our LCMS bubble, every three years, the LCMS puts on a national youth gathering at Shindig. a. Shindig. It's about 30,000 people. Mm-hmm. And it's cool. Yeah. It's big, dumb fun for 30, well, 20 some thousand kids plus chaperones. So 30,000. Um, I've been to two of them. I don't know. I've been to a few. Um, I personally am not going. We've got some kids going. I'm actually going to Kenya tomorrow. 
<laughs> so I won't be there. Well, I'm going to Minneapolis tomorrow <laughs> for the National Youth Gathering. Yeah. We're going to Kenny tomorrow. Should we talk about that instead? Uh, yeah, it's just refugee camp. I've talked about that enough on here. Youth okay. gathering is good. I like it. Um, I don't like it so much that I stress about sending kids when it's a million miles away. Uh, just I don't know that the cost for travel, bang for your buck of the gathering is necessarily that great. But this one's in our backyard. I mean, just drive there. Right. So, yeah, we're definitely sending kids. So that brings up the issue of uh, I'm a teenage Christian. How important is it for me to have a spiritual high? Eh, I'm not opposed to it. You don't want to get addicted to spiritual highs, though. Is spiritual addiction to spiritual highs really a problem in our synod? No, like it's a problem any. for people getting out of the synod is the is the <laughs> yes, issue. It's, it's when people are like, "This is a spiritual high. What's when's the next one?" Well, you get two. And then never again. <laughs> we got nothing for you. Yeah. Ladies, there's LWML convention. It's kind of. Not really. Um, no, I see. I think at that age, spiritual highs are very important. Yeah. Because, I mean, church is more like your, that's your like maintain. Right. Slow growth, whatever. And those things are important because that's where you like, darn it, I'm going to follow Jesus. Right. That's when you make your decisions, commitments, priorities, I think, are connected to emotionally charged sure. events. I, I think they're, whether for me, for me it was Young Life Camp, working at camp. I never went to a gathering when I was, you know, in high school, but I think events like that are incredible. I, I do agree with you that if you're going to be, I mean, to fly someone somewhere to do this is about 1500 bucks all in. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, and then there's what, 20 of us going. So 30 grand, we could do a lot with that money right. for the kingdom of God. That. I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I struggle with that, the cost benefit. Um, but I think spiritual highs are important. Yeah. You got to have those mountaintop experiences, um, especially at that age and even older. I mean, I think, and that's something we don't do very well is spiritual highs for adults. Speaking of which promise keepers is getting back together huh? down in Texas, possibly later this year. Interesting. I went to the one of the mall, the million when they had 2 yeah. million people, whatever it was back in 97. I went to that. It was interesting. It was cool. They had jumbotrons and there's a bunch of Christian men. Yeah. I dig it. I think that, so when I, when I say the, the addiction to it, part of that is because I've, I've worked with a lot of youth groups in my time where that was sort of what we were trying to do for the kids on a regular basis. So you're, you know, um, in, in high school, just the way the ages work out, you can usually hit two youth gatherings, um, before you age out of it. And then inside of that, we did these really cool, big uh, mission trips to Mexico where we did very little mission work and a lot of like spiritual high stuff, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. cool bands and all of that. So you get one of those a year. So you've got five spiritual high experiences and then you've got these other uh, regional stuff or local stuff and big bands and um, a lot of people come together for these cool testimonies and spiritual high. And then you graduate out of high school, maybe you connect a little bit going back as a chaperone or, or chilling out in college. But you have your parachurch college stuff, you know, that kind of thing can carry yeah. you through. Right? But then, so. oof, you hit this like big dry spell starts when you have to be an adult and spiritual <laughs> highs are suddenly gone. You don't do it. In our synod for sure. Right. So now what? Now what we have is a lot of people going, you know, I just don't have that in the LCMS anymore. I'm going to go find that at my Baptist mega church down the road. Where every, every week is spiritual Sunday. high week. Yeah. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. What's wrong with that? 
Well, it would, there'd be nothing wrong. Other than was, it's not real. I mean, right. I mean, it's so your doctrinal content would be sweet. Good true. teaching and stuff would be awesome. True. A little bit of Jesus and good stuff would be great. But that's yeah. why it, there, there are some churches in the LCMS who do it. Mm-hmm. And most of the rest of the churches in the LCMS hate them. <laughs> because they we're jealous of them. No, I personally, I don't want to spend my career planning the next worship service to be bigger and better than the last one. To me, I mean, I'm sure there's people that would love to do that and God bless them. That to me is just like a, an administrative organizational headache every single week. Well, it's expensive um, because you, you just pay people who are better at it than pastors. I mean, if, if you go to um, St. John Ellisville, which is now Pathfinder. Yeah, we don't want to. Is that yeah. Pathfinder? Something, it was something dumb. They named it trendy. Yeah, like it was it. some like contemporary kind of word. Yeah. yeah. Um, or you've got King of Kings Omaha. I mean, they do those on a weekly basis just because they have the staff and the resources. So it's, it's not like they're, they're senior pastors. It's not like Dion Garrett is every week, oh, geez, what am I going to... He's, he's working on messages, and he's working on his preaching and all that kind of stuff every single week. But they're paying... And that's, that's where I, I start to have some concerns over the size of your church. Um, I'm not yes. sure big church is the best way to go. So if you look at the numbers, and again, these numbers are a few years old. I don't think much has changed. The, uh, my, uh, my thesis advisor at uh, Pittsburgh Theological, it was funny. Our church, Zion, had just that year gone from like 380 members to like 415. Like we had just gotten above 400. And he said in a class I was in, he goes, I was the only pastor in the class. He goes, no church should ever be over 400 members. Duncan, how big's your church? Like, well, we're at 415. 15, but I have 15 people. I'm planning I'm on... I'm pretty sure they're dead. Yeah. yeah so, But his, point, his point was that you lose something, and he's overstating his case, got it. Yeah. But there's something about the character of the church that Jesus intended that you lose when you grow a certain size. Yeah. And it, it becomes the big box store of churches where you should be the local merchant, you know, and, and you do lose something there. And I think there's a there's a, a feeling, in, at least in our – I mean, we love talking numbers, man. Numbers matter. Mm-hmm. That every little church wants to be a big church, right? That's the – we grew. We're a bigger church. We can ah, – look at us. But when you look at where do people go to church, and yeah, it's hard to ignore the mega church with the full parking lot on Sunday morning. However, for that one church, there's 100 smaller churches. The average worshiping size of a church on Sunday morning is 88 people. More people choose to go to smaller churches than big churches, but every small church wants to be a big church. And yet, if you look at the stats on, and again, this is just numbers, so that doesn't mean it applies to your particular congregation, but trending, how many church members does it take to make a new believer in Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Guess who's most effective? Yeah, it's small, small churches. Church. No question. Um Oh, by, and also denominate. We saw this stat with the, the the synod did this work. How many Lutherans, you know, different denominations does it take to make a new convert? The number one is Mormons. Hmm. Like 60 Mormons to a new Mormon or whatever. You know who's number two? Who? We are. Really? We're better than Baptists at efficiently making new nice believers in Jesus. So we're actually good at that. Right. 
of course, we're one-tenth the size of them, right. so we got a lot. But anyway, no. Um, I I guess the thing for me is that, you know, I'm 41 and looking into the future of my career. I don't like, like in a, in a huge church, so much administrative heavy and so much putting out mm-hmm. fires and conflict resolution and all that and going, I can do it. But is that really where I want to spend the next 25 years? Right. Not really. I want to spend my 25 years with people and putting a lot of time into sermons. Yeah. That's what I want to do. And the leadership stuff, sure, here and there, but like I don't want to be look back on my career and go, that was a hell of a lot of meetings. Sweet. <laughs> like I was a great administrator. Exactly right. <laughs> I ran in a, I ran a 15 minute meeting. Like it's just not that doesn't appeal to me right. that much. And being I, I'm sure the case for you, because you probably got calls to churches four times the size mm-hmm. of Living Faith going. I don't aspire to be that guy. I don't care. I I don't um, discount the idea of getting to a spot where there was, you know, some churches that are big get to that place where administration all happens outside of the pastoral office. And it really turns into a lot of writing, preaching, teaching, and that would be sweet. Mm-hmm. But you lose that. You, you, you don't get to know your people. Because nobody gets to know 5,000 people. Like, that's not a knowable number of people. So you, you have to know your staff. It's almost like your staff becomes your congregation. Yeah. That's the downside. That's the downside. I mean, the, the uh, therapy with Duncan and Luke uh. on professional. <laughs> no, but I mean, I think it's important that people, if you're still listening at this point, that not every pastor aspires to the, ne- the bigger church. No. Yeah, right. Because one, the bigger churches don't necessarily have it all together. They're not mm-hmm. better places for you to grow. And some of them are. Like some are fantastic because they have a ministry for everything. It's polished. It's well put together. You can invite your friends without worrying about being embarrassed about what are they going to find here. Like I get the positives of a big church right? Mm-hmm. and sweet. But a smaller church is cool too because you're the underdog. Right. And you are you know your people. It's a family. It's quirky. It's church. And your really big problems are are not all that big. And small problems are super amplified in a big church. There's I just was at at our elders meeting when the elders was telling us about his parents' friend's church or something like that in, in northwest Iowa. Big, big Baptist-y sounding church, Bethel, something or other. I had a fire, burned to the ground, whatever. They came hmm. with the designs to build the new sanctuary. Big church. Eight million dollars. Okay. And way, like, way too big, way too aggressive. They don't have the money for this. Causes a little bit of a kerfuffle. People mm. get pissed. They're like, what are you doing? We cannot build, like, our, our $5 million whatever sanctuary burns down, and now we want to build an $8 million thing. We can't do this. So, So here, that would be like, you know, we're looking at like a million dollar or one point five million dollars. <laughs> you know, it's like it's a we smaller, can do this smaller problem. But then the kerfuffle then turned into fire the people who who made these plans, throw <laughs> these plans out the window, burn it to the ground again. Yeah, but the plans had cost them two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> of course. So they spent. So you're in the hole that much already. Started. Starting. Again. Yeah. And you're, it's like... You're a oh. medium-sized house yeah. underwater. So we're, we're going to be building here in, in, before too long. So we, we just got our first initial 
planning phase done, uh, drawings and stuff from the architect, and we spent $3,000. So if, if that went sideways and we had to throw those out the window, that's $3,000. quarter of a week's of offering. But, you know, it's Five. like $3,000. Not that big a deal. We just went to VBS this year. 250 grand. <laughs> what kind oh, of plans? Crap. I want to make drawings of buildings. Well, if, I mean, you, a wa- I mean, water goes here, electric comes here. Yeah. It's a thing. But why? Okay, I don't know anything about it, but like, why go into detailed plans before the church approves this is the direction we want to go? Why not be like, rough sketch, we're thinking this will cost $8 million. This is what a much larger building would cost. Sure. I mean, it's... Why it's, get to the $250,000 in before you're like, does anybody want to do this? Yeah. I mean, that just seems like that's why you fire them. You know, speaking way out of turn because I have no idea what church it is or any of the inside information, I would say that's a mistake. Probably the mistake of... A small, a big church acting like a small church, where I, I, that could easily happen here. You know, the same thing. I, I I come out with these plans that you know, I I council gave me permission to spend I up to fifteen grand, and I've only spent three so far. And you know, I, don't I, you mean seven? The spiritual renovations that were of the vacation. On. So I I come to the church and be like, hey, here we go, and they're like, no, no, this is terrible. Right. So in a small Tell church. Tell me up front, right? That's the, yeah. Small church, those those problems are just smaller. They have smaller ramifications, lesser consequences. A big church, it's this huge, huge bill. And you just go, oh, gosh, what could you do with 200? And meanwhile, your ministry, grand. instead of like, I'm going to put together a really good sermon this week and maybe go visit someone who's dying, mm-hmm. is spent talking to an architect about easements. Yeah. You're like, I just want to do this. Right. So anyways, yeah. yeah, small churches are not bad by any stretch of imagination. But we have we have politics in our church. We have a new president. Yay. He's just like the old guy because he is the same. Same guy. Harrison got reelected. Oh, in our synod. Yeah. You know, your church. Yes, he did. And I did not. Okay, so in our synod, there are people that like our president and people who don't. And people who don't like our president are called congregations first. Right? <laughs> True. And... Generally, no, congregations matter. Congregations matter, yeah. It's Jesus first. Jesus congregations, first. Congregations matter. Who has time for all this crap? You do. <laughs> a little bit. I make a little bit of time for it. But congregations matter. First, worst name ever. Like you just – Who's going to be like, no, they don't. Like you're – No, they just tried to be like, hey, there's this movement of, of black people that they say black lives matter. So we Is should, that what it was based off of? It's got – the timing? It's got to be. Oh. <sighs> If it's not, it's still a terrible decision. Because if you were planning for years to come out with Congregations Matter and then the Black Lives the crap, Matter starts, you're like, well, let's throw that $50,000, $250,000 idea out the window because, geez, that's a... We need a new bumper sticker. We need a new logo. We really, the whitest, most cracker white synod in history... Be like, yeah, we're just like those black guys who get shot by cops because our president is shooting us like cops. (laughs) No, so on people. I mean, couldn't be worse. Could not be a worse name. Congregations matter. So Coop and I have a new acronym that we like to use many times in the church world. Coats. Cut off and tripping over sucking. (laughs) 
And that's the congregations matters of coats. Yeah. It's just us. We can't get out of our own way. Yeah. And so, um, what I didn't like what they did. I don't like that Harrison won. Um, because I, I, I don't know the man personally. I just know what I see. And I, I, I don't understand what he's trying to accomplish. Right. Other than the clarification of the synod, right. The, the clergy, we're moving in a direction where cler- it's a synod run by clergy, mm-hmm. which undermines completely our understanding of the body of Christ mm-hmm. at any rate. Um, but what I, di- I did not like congregation matters coming out with their little letter after the election, you know, just one letter of congratulations. Like we congratulate president Harrison on his win. God bless him. We're walking together. This is a synod, you know, positive, encouraging K-Love message, mm-hmm. hit send. Mm-hmm. Instead, they did that. We congratulate President Harrison. Now, however, <laughs> and it was this litany of like, you better better watch where you step, son, because we got like, come on. Like, can we please just send one letter of, we are on the same team at the end of the day, right? No. We can't even do that. Like that, as a loyal opposition, it was, it was, disappointing that somebody thought that letter was a good idea. Right. Yeah, I didn't like that letter, but I didn't like a lot of the stuff leading up to it. Tell me what you didn't like. Ugh. The whole synod? The campaigning. And and this is what drives me crazy is <laughs> the guy, there's so many people who are like, oh, I can't believe Congregations Matters campaigning. I can't believe these two guys are sending out, you know, campaign letters to churches about voting for them. And that money could be going to blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. You know who started that? Harrison. And when I bring this up with guys who are uh, nut job, right wing, confessional, conservative dorks, I'm like, you remember that little pamphlet he sent out to everybody called Congress or It's Time? And it was right before the ele- like leading up to the election, listing all of the stuff that he would change and do differently from Kishnik and how he ran against Kishnik and how he won against Kishnik. He started, and the response is always the same. It's it, there's like this pregnant pause. But that's of, our guy. It's like this. Oh shit! I forgot about that thing. Right. Um. Well, but you can't compare that like doctrinally sound treatise on churchmanship. But that's exactly what I just what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. It is a campaign letter. I'm going to do things differently. All you're saying is he's a better campaigner. That's fine. But he was the first guy to that's true. Yeah, I'm just just disappointed. Um, I don't. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, he's a tool. But I mean, at the end of the day, nothing changes. Did you guys vote? No, we didn't vote either. I didn't know how. And I, I didn't like I can put 15 minutes into figuring out how to vote. We <laughs> almost did. I had and then people listening to this are going to be pissed off at me because I I some of them have told me how to vote and I I still like you said it wasn't super clear. It was like this <clears throat> we knew it was going to happen that that the other two guys Klinkenberg and Meyer were going to split the no Harrison vote. So Harrison was going to get elected anyway. Right. So <clears throat> Those two guys should have gone into a room and been like, all right, which of us is it, is it going to be? Right. There should only be one person running against Harrison if the goal is to beat Harrison. Right. Right. But how do I know you're not a Harrison spy? Because that, that's going on too, right? <laughs> it is going on. It's, it was, it was, um, uh, no, like I said, I don't know the man. I, I think it's a, it's a suck job. I, I, 
whatever. I'm well, not a, I the, hate Harrison guy. Right. I just, I don't see the kind of leadership from him that I think uh, is beneficial or effective at a congregational level. I don't think he's a leader. I think, I think he is a, um, a lot of people talk about him as a great theologian. I don't think he's a great mm, theologian. He's smart. I think he's yeah. a, um, a fantastic um, storyteller. Well, he, he is, he is a historian. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. He, he does know the Lutheran church history. Well, he's a good writer. He's a good author. I don't know how that qualifies you to, to be the president of the synod, but at any rate, don't care. The, it was his administration that was like, we are going to um, change this voting process to make it so much easier for everybody to do. Yeah, the numbers were super down of congregations who voted. Really? Yeah. Because it was. It was like this, all right, first you have to do all this nominating stuff. And it was. I thought for a minute like you had to nominate if you were going to vote. And I was like, do that? No, you have to register to nominate, but you have to register to vote. And you have to nominate. You to have vote. to have an ID number that we yeah. sent you six months ago. And right. I'm oh, it's not so doing confusing. This. And then we had to like make sure we got two people, me and somebody else. And like I did that. I got all the way to the point of almost voting. Nah. There was like this flurry of a hundred things you had to do, and then it was like six months of nothing. And then I was like, oh shit, I'm gonna be gone today. when the vote happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be out of town. There's probably a way to do an absentee. Ah, forget it. What I don't understand is why doesn't the synod just send out two ballots to every church? One's the pastor, one's a lay representative. Mail it back. Right. Like, here's a self-addressed <clears throat> envelope. Check a box and send it back. They made it so convoluted. Why do we need to do the internet for it? I mean, I get that, oh, a stamp. But, like, I would do that. Oh, there's a thing. I have to literally check a box and put it back in and get my president or whoever to vote, and then we just mail it back in. Even the internet thing, I don't care about that. It's the, but the, it's a, it's an I have an ID number and a thing and whatever, and right. I don't want to just I just want to know, right? But the but beyond that, it was like you had to in, way in advance, mm-hmm. like fill these things out that I'm a pastor and that I have this other guy who's my lay delegate voter. Dude. Or you could just send something to my church where we check a box. Yeah. It has to be in by this day. Once we have the slate of candidates, we mail it out. And then you have until we count the ballot day to turn it back in. Yeah. It seems easy. Uh-huh. I think the Russians hacked it. It would cost how many churches? Six thousand, six thousand, so it's three thousand dollars. A lot less than that. Like six thousand. Like, it would cost ten thousand dollars to do the whole thing. Yeah. A lot Plus less some than monkey 15 to count them. mailings of reminders of this and that. Yep, I came so close to voting. No? I just I, it really literally came down to it was so many things to do. And then, and I finally figured well, out, oh, that. I'm going to be out of town. And then I was like, I'm going to have to do like a thousand more things it's to not- do the absentee. I was like, screw you. I just don't care. You shouldn't even exist. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I can't, I can't get the energy up to care enough to figure it's out. It's like, well, these guys are going to split the no Harrison vote. So it doesn't matter. Right. Lo and behold, 51%. Mm-hmm. Slimmest, as we heard from Congregations Matter, the slimmest margin ever. Right. Support is dwindling. It's a dwindle of support. <clears throat> it's all stupid. It is all stupid. Because I, I get that like a lot of the things he does has a tremendous impact on a few people. But nobody that uh, is here in Iowa. It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. And that's And I think there is a disconnect having – I was at the Purple Palace – yeah, why were you meeting with Harrison? For PALS convention, for PALS facilitator training. <coughs> and uh, 
there is a and and good people at the international set, right? Okay, fine, but just very out of touch with, I think, what goes on on the gra- grassroots level outside of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. They they just don't get what what life in the parish is like, and that we know what they're doing, we understand it, and we can access it and support it, or that it benefits us, or we can benefit it. Like we have no idea what you people do. Right. We have no idea, and really, we don't care. Right. Like I, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Oh, you're breaking your. Thing. I'm breaking a thing. It's not going to fall off. Right. It's okay. Anything else to talk about, or should we wrap this thing up? And I'm good if you're good. Yeah, we should. We should. 104 minutes into the program, the showgram. Something like that. Good deal. I like it. All right. Um, here's my off button. Thanks for coming in, Duggan. There you go. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll get back to you again here with another podcast before too long. Till then, it'd be awesome. Uh, I'd love to hear from you guys. All the things with Luke Tim at gmail.com. You can get a hold of me on Twitter and Instagram, Luke underscore Tim. Either one of those work. Uh, check us out at kariscoffee.com. That is X A R I S X O F F E E.com. Um, blah, blah, other stuff, whatever. Uh, it's great. Love talking to you guys. Uh, I guess I'm not talking to you. I'm just talking to an empty room right now. Kind of weird. Uh, love talking to Duncan. Love hearing from you. So, uh, till next time, you guys be good. There's a party going on.